0: Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive.
1: All right, good morning and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. This is Rachel Marshall and Bruce Weiner, your co-hosts together with you today. And if you have ever considered living abroad, becoming an expat, or even investing offshore, this is a conversation that you want to be part of today. And the reason is that we're talking with Mikkel Thorup, who is currently coming to us live from Panama, correct?
2: Correct. You got it.
1: And he is with the Escape Artist. You are going to hear a fascinating backstory and his life experience that he's going to be bringing to you on the show today. And we invite your questions as well. I know this is something that we have, as we've expanded into the live format, we have added more of your listener questions into the show. So we'd love to know if you have specific questions about the conversation topic today. So, if you want to travel or live overseas or invest abroad, this is the topic in the conversation for you today. So, Mikkel, please correct me if I mispronounce your name. I keep looking down at my pronunciation key every no, time. No, you got it.
2: <laughs> I made you nervous because as soon as we got in, I made, I made sure to tell you it's Mikkel, not Michael, not Miguel, not, I'm not sure. My family's originally from Denmark. So, just Ooh. think Danish, not Spanish.
1: Excellent. Well, Mikkel, thank you so much for joining us on the show today.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for today's conversation and to hopefully field some questions and and help and inspire some of your audience.
1: Awesome. Well, I'm going to just read very briefly a few Um, just points from your bio because I want to give our audience and our listeners just a little bit of background from what you are about. So um, number one, you are the number one best-selling author of Expat Secrets, How to Pay Zero Taxes, Live Overseas, and Make Giant Piles of Money. So you can get that book on Amazon. Now, the reason he's been able to write this book is he has lived and invested abroad for quite some time. He spent nearly 20 years in continual travel around the world visiting more than 100 countries, and he's going to tell you about that today, but he has not only a podcast now, he has summits, he has the book, he has multiple venues and mediums that he is helping people to understand these topics and from the experience that he's lived personally. So let's go ahead and jump into the show. Bruce, I want to make sure that I bring you into the show and have you um, say good morning as well.
0: good morning, uh, Rachel. Uh, This is a, this is a, what I really like that we do all the time with our listeners is to bring in different, not only different types of personalities, but different types of subjects. And um, I think Mikkel's going to talk about, you know, the uh, the, the pros and cons of, of living abroad and traveling abroad. And I think that's something that people, when they start to get time and money freedom, that that's really what they're kind of interested in. And I don't think there's a, a better time to start talking about this since we're dealing with travel with COVID and and what we should be doing and what we should be thinking. And um, Mikkel, you don't know this, but my wife actually traveled 17 years internationally and was on uh, Delta and Ameri- uh, American Airlines uh, Platinum, you know, million dollar uh, or million mile club both at the same time. So um i have some experience from her point of view and i've also traveled uh, quite a bit uh, also so i'm excited to hear it from somebody that does it not necessarily for a living although i think you probably make a living off of this but that's not why you do it you do it because probably for the adventure and and meeting people uh across the world and i think uh, what my message always is the people across the world all all are the same we all we all want what's best for our families we want all want the government to let us leave us alone and it's amazing that we're a lot more, we have a lot more in common than people think when when they just stay here in the United States.
2: Bruce, you're you're stealing all my talking points here. <laughs> like the kindred <laughs> spirits, I think we're gonna get along very well. Yeah.
1: Okay. I love that, I love that. So Mikkel, can you go ahead and share with us your backstory and how did you become this person who has traveled for 20 years and been in a hundred countries and lived in at least, I believe that you said 20.
2: Yeah, I've, I've lived in eight countries. I've traveled oh, nice. to 104, 105, but I've been at it for uh, 20 plus years now. Um, I think I need to update my bio. You know how it is. You keep going and <laughs> I got to go back and update my bio a little bit, but basically my backstory and, and I have to jump quite a bit back in time to, to kind of give you the full picture, but I'll, I'll try not make it not too long. But basically, when I was a young child, I was diagnosed with a learning disability. And the principal and the the teacher and the resource teacher, they all came to me and they said, "Uh, Mikel, Mikel, something doesn't work quite right in your brain. And and what we want to do is we want to send you to a special school, a special school for special boys. And... That's what they did, you know. Uh, every day for three years, I got on a little white bus, and I traveled across town, and I went to a new special school. The only problem was that actually it wasn't a special school; it was actually a regular school with a special class. So you can kind of imagine uh, what that must have been like. It was it was twelve of us in this small class, and an entire school with quote unquote normal kids. So, I got in fights. I got picked on. I got bullied. Um, but this isn't like a, a woe is me story, feel sad for me by any means. I, I stood up for myself. I knew that this was wrong. And, and I really tried to remove myself from the situation quite quickly. But um, going into grade seven, um, I went back to my old neighborhood school where, you know, these were the kids that I'd known since maybe not quite since I was born but since I was 3 years old or something like that and I really thought like wow like this is this is over my my life can now continue you know I don't have to come home from school crying every day and 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 being so upset and so angry and mm. and feeling so out of place but the thing is that when I went back to this normal school all the kids, you know, they kind of remembered me, but kind of didn't, you know, three years is a long time, especially for a child. And, and they'd start to whisper, they'd start to whisper, oh, where did he go? You know, I remember him. Oh, he went to, to some retard school, Mm. you know, 1980s, totally politically correct, very sensitive, very, (laughs) you know, but that's the kind of thing that I was dealing with. So, you know, grade seven and eight, I started failing and I started they sent me some, started sending me to summer school and I started failing summer school. And then I went on to high school and I started failing that. And, and very quickly I decided, you know what, this is not for me. I, I don't like this. I, I'm not doing well in this environment. And at 12 years old, I stopped going to school. Mm-hmm. And at 15, I officially dropped out. And this wasn't like, oh, I transferred to homeschooling or something like that. No, I just refused to go. And it's funny now, you know, at 37 years old, I realized that this is really the beginnings of my libertarian journey. I peacefully removed myself from the situation, something that I knew was wrong, and and then forged a new way for myself. Mm-hmm. So, not shortly after that, um, I started traveling. And I remember my father, when I was growing up, had always told me the greatest thing he ever did in his life was backpack and travel through Europe. So, for me, like. It only made sense, like, okay, if this was the greatest thing you ever did in your life, like, why did you only do it for a couple of months? Like, why didn't you base your life on it? Um, of course, I didn't really understand until I started traveling myself. And, and I started traveling internationally as a teenager, um, first with my father, and, and I could see what he was talking about. And then afterwards, solo. And, um, and when I got out there, you know, I had the most amazing feeling. I really felt like I had found like my peeps my people you know this expat community tribe, this yeah. traveling community my tribe you know this was the place that i'd been searching for my whole life i met <clears throat> these amazing human beings from every corner of the earth and i learned so much and and then i started reading and researching about different cultures and different foods and different different language and different everything and it just became an obsession of mine to understand the world and you know, at this point, like we mentioned earlier, you know, I've been at this for 20 years straight. Um, I've circumnavigated the planet more than 400 times. I've lived in eight different countries. I've visited one hundred and four hundred and five different countries. Um, you know, I'm Canadian with Danish heritage. My wife is from mainland China. I met her in Germany. We got married in Africa. My daughter was born in the Middle East. And now we live in Latin America in Panama. So like, When I say, like, I'm an expat and I live an international life, like, it is in my bones. Like, I don't even consider myself a Canadian anymore. And I think that the term, you know, citizen of the world is kind of cliche, but I mean, I am the least Canadian Canadian you will ever meet. I couldn't even fit in there. Like, I like the the really different stuff. I like the really out there places. Um, I've been to North Korea. I've been to Iran. Um, You know, I spent two months in Colombia, you know, in. 2002 or something where it was still a very unsafe country. Now it's, it's beautiful and it's just, well, it was always beautiful, but it was a lot safer now. Mm. Same with El Salvador. I was in El Salvador almost 20 years ago, um, you know, and they'd just come off civil war, not many years before that. And um, I like putting myself in difficult situations and challenging myself and learning from that. And that's gone from the personal side and also the investing side, which I'm sure we'll touch on today. So that's kind of a a long answer to a very simple question, but I am um, yeah. I hope that makes sense.
0: Well, I think I think the the very first thing that comes into a person's mind that's listening to this is, Mikkel, well, that's great, but uh, you've got to have some money to be able to you know travel around the world and so on and so forth he must be independently wealthy and uh, he doesn't have to worry about these things. So how do, how do All you, right, act, so. yeah, how do you do that then? And, and how have you done this? And what, what were the trials and tribulations along the way? And, were the absolutely and those are legitimate
2: questions questions. those are legitimate questions i will come right out front and say i do not have a silver spoon i was not born of privilege by any means um i started working in farms uh when i was 12 years old i used to pick the ragweed out of bean fields and i would do that for eight ten hours a day for i think three dollars an hour four dollars an hour i did a lot of babysitting when i was 10 11 12 13 years old stuff like that and As soon as I could, I I got a a job and I worked at a grocery store and I started saving up money. Um, I was not going to allow the lack of funds to stop me from following my dreams. So, yes, right now I do well for myself and I travel with my family and we stay in five star hotels and it's great. But I mean, when I started out, I was backpacking. I took 18 months through Central and South America and hitchhiked. I had a big red big red backpack a jar of peanut butter a tent and i just went you know like i wasn't going to let anything stop me and and that having to go through those difficult things really built character i think that a lot of the the challenges we're having right now is we have perpetual children all around the world you know they go on they they have everything handed to them and i, I don't mean to make this as a rant but a lot of people they've everything handed to them then they go through school, the family takes care of everything, or even worse, they get into just a ton of student debt, then a bachelor's degree is no longer sufficient, so then they have to do a master's, then they have to do a PhD, because, and I was listening, or reading some statistics the other day, that said new graduates with a bachelor's degree is something like um, 60% of them uh, have no prospect of work. And it's like, that's just so terrifying. But I went out there and I started creating value and working from day one from a child. So when I started traveling, I just continued that, and I just kept looking at problems that I could challenge or I could solve. and you know, nothing was paid for for me. you know I, I really did do this on my own. Um, but you know, if I lost everything tomorrow, I really wouldn't allow that to stop me fulfilling my goals and fulfilling my dreams. so I think that A lot of people can make excuses, um, but I'm a big one for personal responsibility.
1: I love that. And you know what's really interesting is that you mentioned school wasn't working for you. You dropped out or you peacefully seceded from the school Mm -hmm. system. Now, you clearly have a tremendous amount of knowledge and education. At this time, we're talking to a very learned person. How did that journey happen for you? Where did you decide to become self-taught? And and how did you go? I believe you're reading 100 books plus a year. How has that happened? And then how has that served you in your life?
2: I think that, like, I don't have a definitive answer, but I would say that I do have a curiosity. Now, I believe that public education, I actually believe that public education actively suppresses creativity and curiosity. I think because I was not in the system for a very long amount of time that I, with, I, I still have that curiosity. At mm-hmm. 37 years old, I am still massively curious. Um, I know so many adults who left school, who left studies, especially extended studies, and will never pick up another book in their life. You know, They have like a pain point when they associate reading with like work. For me, reading is like Enjoyment. Like, I love learning about new things. Like, I think it's just so interesting. So, I think that's just a continuation from traveling. Like, my favorite things about traveling are like sitting in a cafe and like people watching, going to a museum, learning about the history. Um, I like to see how things are different. I like to see, you know, like people so always have these negative connotations and they're like, um, you know, some backwards country or, you know, they think that, you know, Canada, the States, UK, France, Germany, you know, we do things right. We, we do the things the right way. But these other countries, they do them the wrong way. I'm Like, that's not the case at all. Mm. You know, there is there is reasons that countries do things and people and cultures and history. There's reasons that that happens. But I mean, you can't just like, have a passing glance at it and then see, you know, you really need to, to dive in and like for a lot of the countries I've been to, I didn't spend, you know, two days there and be like, oh, I know this country. I, I wouldn't right. claim to know any country. But you know, for example, I was two months in Colombia in 2002, 2003, was two months in Morocco in 2001. I was five months in Guatemala. Um, eight years in Abu Dhabi in, in the UAE, three years in Australia, a year in Singapore, a year in New Zealand. Um, I lived 366 days in a Native American community in the Canadian High Arctic, uh, volunteering oh, wow. at a crisis line on a suicide hotline.
1: Mm. Like
2: That type of thing teaches you stuff you know, that you're not going to get through public education, either... You're going to need to read stories and books of people who have actually done it or experienced things yourself or the third option which is also one of my favorites which we can get into is mentorship i am a massive fan of mentorship i have a number of people that i work with people ask well how did you learn the taxes how did you work the the legal i have a mentor (laughs) like i have people that i talk to every single week um, who are lawyers, and I ask them a lot of questions, and then they give me the answers, and then I try to help them with their business and with the things that they do, and I provide value to them. You know, I think that this is you know a good way to learn things
1: Well, I love that you're bringing in multiple elements here. One, the curiosity and creativity of childlikeness in many ways is what <clears throat> has allowed you to explore and learn so much and then just being a student of the world and a uh, a citizen of the world almost as you had mentioned. So let's jump over now for somebody who is thoroughly inspired now, myself and probably our listeners included. How do you make this a reality for those of us who have established lives in the United States, we have, maybe we have jobs here, we have our money here, we have our family here, but we have this dream or this calling. Somehow we want to experience the world in at least some capacity that you've described. Maybe not that we wanna go live abroad for the rest of our lives, but how does somebody make that mental leap? And then I'd love for you to walk through, what does it actually take in terms of thinking about having your account offshore or needing visas or, having an additional passport, just the, the things that maybe you would need to think about if you were going to start this life being, towards being an expat.
2: Sure, of course, that's a ton of things to unpack, but I will do oh, my I'm sure. absolute best.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you can give a high level overview I think well. I
2: think that we could probably talk about any one of those things, especially like the residencies of the passports for, for uh, uh, an entire episode. But let's, let's, let's try to do the brief version. Okay, I will start by answering that. I believe, I believe that every person on planet Earth has some magical place tucked away in their brain about where they would love to travel or go or experience or live in. You know, there's that one place in their head that they're just like, they're so curious about. Now, whether you have told that to or shared that with your spouse or your brother or sister or your mother, father, your kids, I don't know. But I bet that most people listening today have that one place in their head. So my invitation to you is just go try. Because really, you can, you can think about what is the worst that is going to happen. And I have this, this saying that has just been a guiding light in my life for, I don't know, 20 some odd years. And it goes like this. It all works out in the end. And if it doesn't work out, it's not the end. And when things get challenging and they get hard and you don't know what to do, you just need to remind yourself it'll all work out in the end. So if you're worried, you know, you're going to move to France and then you don't speak the language and you don't know where to go and you don't know anybody and it's okay. It'll all work out. You know, oh, but if I come back to the States and I won't have my job and then my beautiful house and blah, 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 blah. it's okay. It's going to work out. You'll get through it. People are Human beings are incredibly resilient, incredibly resilient. Um, Do I think that you should just sell your house, sell all your belongings, throw on a backpack and just take a one way flight somewhere? No, that would be irresponsible of me. I don't know you. I don't know your situation. But I mean, there are small steps that people can take right now today to, to build on a skill set. And, and I would argue that s- traveling, especially international travel is a skill set. Um, there will be small micro things that you will learn along the way, things that you've never thought about today. Um, you're not going to learn them from a textbook. Yes, yes, go online and, and read blogs and listen to podcasts and things like this. But at some point, you are going to need to do it. And, and you will never have a good enough understanding until you actually go through it yourself. Does that make sense?
1: Mhm. Like driving a car, you can't figure it out unless you're behind the wheel.
2: Yeah. Uh, and and uh, I think that
0: I'm sorry, Miguel. Um No, no, please. So if we can get some like specifics from my travel, um I I resonated what you were saying like everybody always says, well, you don't want to go to France, they're rude to Americans. And I've been there a couple of times and I've never experienced that whatsoever. It's it's the most wonderful wonderful people around. But then the, you have to also experience um, things, like you said, like how do you, in, a, in the United States, we don't have a great train system, but in Europe, the train system is absolutely wonderful. But there are some challenges with buying the tickets. and But then once you do it a couple of times, you kind of figure it out and you ask people, you know, other travelers, you ask other people from that country and they're, this is the part that I love. They love to help because they're human beings helping another human being. Human beings are basically good people. And yes, agree wholeheartedly. Unless you're, yes, you get the people every once in a while that you got to worry about pickpockets and you got to worry, but you can't, you cannot allow yourself to be frozen in that fear. So what are other things like that uh, examples that you, that you could give to the listeners of, as far as uh, little tidbits that you would pick
2: up? Okay, well, I, I want to continue on with the thread that you just mentioned. And I remember when I was in Colombia, I was, like I said, this was a very long time ago. But there's this country that has so much natural beauty. like It is just unbelieving, unbelievable how much natural beauty they have. They've got the Caribbean and the Pacific. They have the, um, they have the mountains. They have the Amazon. They have like everything there, plus culture and food and everything like that. But it has a terrible reputation like really, especially at the time, was the worst. It was just all you could think about was, or all you heard was Pablo Escobar and drug cartels and things like this. And then, of course, the FARC and the paramilitaries and the guerrillas. But I mean, I remember one time I was totally lost. I had no idea where I was going. And I, I asked some older gentlemen, like, how do I get back to the Candelaria? It was a district in Bogota. How do I get back here? In my not very good Spanish at the time. And normally what you would expect people to do is they would just give you some directions and they would say, okay, you know, go down five blocks and turn left or whatever, and you'll be fine. This guy actually got on the public bus with me, rode the bus with me, got off, took me for a cup of coffee, (laughs) walked me to my youth hostel, said, thank you very much. And then came, walked back the direction we had come from like he was not going mm-hmm. in this way. He was not going. He totally just stopped what he was doing and was curious about me and at the same time wanted to show how much they had to offer. And, you know, it's been 20 years and I still remember that so clearly. And, and I just want to parrot what you said. You know, people are inherently good. And I don't care if you are tall, short, fat, skinny, black, white, gay, straight, LGBT. It doesn't matter. People Mm -hmm. are inherently good. This is what I've learned after 20 years of traveling. People want the same things. They want a roof over their heads. They want to be loved. They want a, a meal in their stomach and they want to protect their family. And it doesn't matter where you come from. And you will see this over and over and over again. People are inherently good. Um, I've traveled to what some would call the axis of evil, and I met some of the most beautiful, caring, mm. amazing human beings ever there. you know? And like the in 20 years of traveling, the only time I was ever robbed was in Canada, where I grew up. OK? Um, I've, never been viol- uh, I've never been violently attacked outside of when I was a child and when I was in school and things like that, also in Canada. Um, I've never been scared for my life in in Africa, like we drove through South Africa, Botswana, Zimbabwe. I was never scared through any of those countries. Um, You know, I never had a gun pulled on me. I never had any of these things that people are so fearful of. Um, I didn't get kidnapped in Iran like like people thought that I would like. Like there's just so much stuff that is not based on reality. Mm. And once again, I know that you guys are asking for like very specific things that you can do, but I want you to understand the bigger picture of what the world is really like. Um, Is there bad people out there? Yes, absolutely. But there's bad people, you know, down the street as well. If you walk around drunk at four o'clock in the morning in, I don't know, pick pick a city in Canada, the US, like, I don't know walk around Los Angeles at three o'clock in the morning drunk and, and you know, like do you think that's going to be a safe environment? No, that's, you know, you have to have your head about you. You got to have your head on your shoulders. Like it it doesn't matter really where you are, you know? That's
1: really, really good that you're sharing just this um, perspective and philosophy even about the world and not being a fearful person going about your decisions. Because if you let fear make your decisions for you, or you don't go into a situation because you're afraid of what may happen, that's not the space we want to be living in to have this abundant, joyful, flourishing humanity and doing the most good. I also love that you just brought those those core elements of what people really want, the roof over their head, the love, caring for their family, taking care, protecting their family, and having food in their belly. I think that really um, that common humanity uniting us all is just really, really important. And So again, we could go so many directions with this conversation. And I know I opened a huge can of worms with with that question earlier. And I think maybe you were even trying to differentiate if you're going to conceptualize this potential travel or living abroad, maybe you just want to travel there first. Maybe you just want a vacation before you decide you want to live somewhere. Airbnb for
2: two weeks and, and see what it's like one month, you know, with a lot of those things. You don't need a special visa. You don't need a passport. You don't need an offshore bank account. You know, that's none of that stuff is necessary. Really, if you if you are a US citizen, um, okay. there's been some changes with the covid. um, But I mean, outside of that, if we just talk about normal life, um, you can go to the majority of the places that people here are going to want to listen to. Okay, there's going to be a couple of countries that you'll either have to have special visas for or special permission for. But I'd say ninety nine point nine percent of the places that you want to go to on a temporary basis if we want to talk about permanent basis that's a whole other ballgame you know we, we can talk about that but on a temporary basis to go for four weeks or six weeks or something like that most countries you can go to um, and with with very little trouble
1: so if you are now you're thinking okay there's this travel this experience abroad that I want to have for my family? Maybe somebody has already experienced that. Now they're they're thinking, let me think about investing offshore or offshore accounts. And I know this is a completely different direction, but number one, why would somebody want to consider diversifying outside of the US? And what would be some steps that they could take to begin thinking about that?
2: Absolutely. This is a great question. So, a lot of people believe in diversification. I believe in diversification. I just take it to a very different level than a lot of other people. Um, so traditional diversification is, you know, you're going to have three or four different mutual funds. You're going to have one that's, you know, high growth, one that's, uh, you know, medium, and one that's going to maybe pay out dividends or something like this. You know, maybe you know you'll have something risky in there like a couple of apartments or something you know this is your this is your diversification unfortunately all of those things are fully correlated uh, 100% and and I'll tell you why okay first if you're doing it all in the united states then you're you're politically they're all correlated so what happens on twitter you know is going to affect you know, your your portfolio, like one person can go out there and send a tweet. All right. I don't like that. I think that's terrible. Um, second of all, you're doing everything in U.S dollars. Um, U.S. dollars is the, currently the reserve currency, but we don't know how much longer that will be for. We have a lot of challenges going on, not challenges, but a lot of things going on with Russia and China. Um, they're now trading oil amongst themselves. You know, the U.S. has tried to stop this with many other countries. Look at Libya. You know, they wanted to start trading oil for gold. Um, You know, we all know how that ended. Um, But diversification, you can't just be in the United States trading in U.S. dollars. So when I do diversification, I try to diversify through geographics, through politics, political, through currencies, through time, I traded options and derivatives for seven years. Um, I think that time is very important. You can also get time with bonds and with different type of instruments. So you don't have everything coming to fruition at the exact same time. Um, You know, and if you hold all of your assets in one place and you do have some type of a problem with the government, whether that is founded or unfounded, I can't say, It's, it's not my business, but I mean... They can seize assets, like just go into Google or whatever and type in, you know, asset fortif- uh, asset seizures, and what happens to your money when the police department or when a government agency seizes your assets, for suspected crimes. You don't even need to be convicted a lot of times. They can freeze your bank accounts tomorrow um, for, for just suspecting you of something.
0: That's a, yeah, that's very key that and a lot of people don't know that. It's it's you're yeah. guilty and then you have to prove your innocence with, with these type of things.
2: Yeah. I work with an accountant who works in the offshore space as well. And I remember a couple of months ago he was telling me stories about of a couple of his clients. And these were expats who American expats who lived overseas, married someone overseas, had their kids overseas, had a house overseas, and came back to the States. One one woman in particular I'm thinking about. She came back to the States to visit her sister. And when she uh, entered the U.S. and got off the airplane, there was government agents there waiting for her. And she was suspected of owing U.S. taxes. Suspected. You have to understand that Americans are taxed on worldwide income. They're not taxed on where they live. They're not taxed on where the money is generated. Uncle Sam wants a piece of everything you always do. Um, and what they did was they confiscated her passport and she had no backup travel document. So she was literally a prisoner and it took months to sort through this. And it turns out she actually did not owe any taxes because when, mm-hmm. they, when they look at the, what they suspect, they're not counting any deductions. So if you say, if you're a small business owner um, you have certain deductions. Everybody knows this. You know? mm-hmm. If you have kids, if you have A, B, C, D, E, F, G, um, there's certain deductions. But if, you're, if they consider you or they suspect you owing more than $50,000, they can confiscate your passport. So I think diversification is not just your investments. It's not just your retirement fund. It's also yourself. Um, having that plan B, having that backup plan, I think is really, really, really important and not talked about enough.
1: I love that you shared the diversification because we would also say that you need to be diversified across asset classes, not just varying levels of risk within all paper assets. So you're thinking you're broadening that perspective of where we'll say there's paper assets, there's your commodities, there's your real estate, your businesses. You want to be diversified across that within what you know and control. But mm-hmm. at the same time, you're saying let's even step outside of that and diversify politically, geographically, and um, with your currency as well. And so, mm-hmm. did when did you start thinking about investing outside of the U.S.? Was that at the same time? I mean, you were 12, I think. You said when you first started traveling. So how did that come about for you?
2: Well, I was I was 12 years old when I stopped going to school.
1: Right, right. I was okay.
2: 15 when I 15 when I. Uh, officially dropped out, and I was probably about 16 or 17 when I started traveling internationally. Okay. Um, I got into investing like not at that age by any means. You know, I was just a dumb kid, just running around, you know, wanting to see the world. And I mean, one thing leads to another. Um, so I, I can't tell you like an exact point where I was like, okay. This is what I want to do. I want to be an investor. Um, I know that people like Jim Rogers had a big influence on my life, who I was fortunate enough to have on my podcast and have now talked with him several times. Um, I liked his way of looking at the world, and he follows what many would call Austrian School of Economics, which is what I follow. I don't believe in central planning. I don't believe in uh, Keynesianism. Um, I like that type of investing. one thing that you just mentioned that kind of just triggered something in my brain about the different types of assets. Yes, like you can go out there and you can own commodities and you can own stocks and you can build your own stock portfolio. But to go back to the diversification, and, and I use this as an example all the time, but look at a company like Nestle. If you own Nestle and it's, you know, and if it's in an ETF or a mutual fund or, you know, on the New York Stock Exchange or something like this you actually own it in US dollars so although it is a swiss company you're really not diversified internationally at all because it's still in the US dollars on a US exchange so if you want to own something like that why would you not own it in swiss francs in a european brokerage house like that's the kind of like for me logical thinking like mm. i i want to own things in swiss francs i want to own things in euros and well, maybe not euros at the moment. They're having the crap beat out of them. But I mean, as an example,
1: right? Um, right.
2: You know, British pounds, Canadian dollars, New <laughs> Zealand dollars, like different types of currencies. Um, my wife is from China, like I mentioned earlier. We own apartments in China. Talk about uncorrelated. In her small un- small city, she likes to say her small city of five million people. Um, we own apartments there in RMB. It's like that is not tied like that is about as far away as ways you could get from the US stock exchange or a mutual US mutual fund or a bond fund or something like that does it make sense
1: yes absolutely and this is just a fascinating conversation i think i mean from here i would love to have you tell our listeners about your podcast your book i know you just recently had a summit as well you're doing a lot to really help people understand these concepts. I know you have a blog. Uh, Share the work that you're doing and how you help people to either make this leap to living abroad or investing abroad.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I run a website, a blog called Escape Artist. It is the oldest and largest offshore website in the world. I took it over about a year ago. We've seen tremendous success over the last year. Um, We do a daily newsletter with that, semi-daily, five times a week, something like that, uh, which is free to sign up for. And I do encourage your listeners, if you go to escapeartist.com, you'll see opt-in forms there. You can receive the newsletter. Every day we talk about second passports, uh, investing internationally, offshore banking, offshore incorporation, different things like this. And then on that, we get into specific topics. So I might write a thousand word article about how to get residency here in Panama where I live or um, get a second passport in Portugal or how to buy a house in Belize. You know, those are really in-depth. I guess with our talk today, what I really want to do is inspire people. I want people. I, I'm hoping that like the whole bunch of little light bulbs go off in people's heads and it's going to start this curiosity and you go out there and you start Googling things and, and searching for things. Um, Yes, I have a a podcast. It's called The Expat Money Show. We've done nearly 100 episodes over the last three years. Like I said, I've had Grant Cardone. I've had... um, Jesus, who who else would you guys know? Jim Rogers, like I mentioned earlier. Tons of big mm-hmm. people in the expat space. If you don't really know the expat space, you might not know, but lots of New York time best-selling authors, lots oh, of CEOs, business owners. Uh, Mike Cobb, who I believe you've had on your show, was on yes. my show as well. Super smart individual. Very I good friend of mine. I think you mentioned Doug
1: Casey as well on your I've show. I've had
2: Doug Casey on. I've had Richard Mayberry. I've had just a ton of people who I find are really inspirational.
1: That's excellent. So I love that you are um opening again this can of worms even wider and you're talking about there's so many different concepts whether it's residency or second passports or living or you mentioned um offshore and corporations or moving a trust offshore as well so there's a lot to be explored in this space and hence this is why you're helping people really to be able to navigate that so you also have a book tell us about the book
2: Okay, my book um, was published about two years ago. It is still quite revel- relevant. What I tried to do was make a lot of the content everg- evergreen. Oh, yes, some excellent. of the numbers might have changed, but say, for example, um, you wanted information about getting a Saint Lucia passport, you know, it's in there. But you know, contact us, and we'll, you know, maybe it's not X dollars. It's increased because of inflation by a little bit. I'm not sure, but I cover. 15, 15 different chapters, each chapter about a different thing that we've kind of talked about here today. So for example, a chapter on offshore banking. And this will really give you a, a good framework to start from if you want to go offshore. And I would say the only difference, like, difference between going offshore and expat is I, I consider expat the personal side, the living side where you are, and the offshore space is your financial side. So the investing and the money and the, all of this kind of stuff, so the structures. Um, there's a lot of combination and interlinking between the two. Um, it's always kind of a challenge to try to talk about everything, you know, but it should be a good jumping off point. Uh, same with this interview to, to lead you down a rabbit hole where you'll be able to find out more things. Um, and that's what we did at the summit. You know, we did five days at the summit. We had 27 speakers. Uh, we had 6,200 attendees nice. at the summit. It was massive. I wrote over 800 emails and responded to over 800 questions in one week.
1: Nice. So
2: I was absolutely destroyed after that. I was working like 16, 17 hours a day. I can um, imagine. But I, I honestly, guys, I feel like I'm on a mission. Like I'm really like, I'm so passionate about this. And I hope you, I hope you get that from... From our talk today, like I really believe in this. Um, I believe in humanity, I believe in our ability to choose I believe in our personal responsibility. I don't think that government should be deciding everything for us. Um, like I said earlier, I am a libertarian you know I am a hardcore libertarian. I trust in humanity that we will make the right decisions without interference, without extra regulation. you know we don't need government to do mm-hmm. everything for us we can We can do things voluntarily. We don't need force. Um, Free market enterprise is totally the way to go. Um, That's what 20 years of traveling has taught me.
1: (laughs) That's really exciting. And I love that you're realizing that it's a mission and it's not only you and your personal experience, which I think is part of why we're on this earth is to enjoy our life to the fullest. But at the same Mm, time, you're talking about not just living for that personal enjoyment, you're also saying, how do I have this mission to help other people live free? And and if I could Mm -hmm. really just encapsulate everything that you're talking about, it's that freedom. And so, I mean, that's something that we and our listeners and our audience really have near and dear to our hearts as well, this idea of freedom and control of what you can control in your life. Obviously, we can't control the weather and we can't control the future, except that we can predict it by a lot of the actions that we make today and we can mm-hmm. decide what our future does look like. But I think when it really everything boils down to freedom and having as much control as possible in, in our world. And so I love the work that you're doing and the um, you're living both sides. You're living the expat side and the offshore side, as you said, the the investing money side and, and also the personal side. Um, Bruce, do you have any questions or thoughts that you'd like to
0: share? I have one kind of quick question, but I also um, want—I'll just say it on the podcast, Mikkel. I voted Libertarian the last four presidential elections, um, and a lot of people Joe Jorgensen
2: (laughs) twenty twenty.
0: People say, "Well, you're just throwing away your vote," and I'm like, "No, it's my vote. You don't tell me that I'm throwing away my vote." Um, The other—the other thing is, I know Dr. Robert Murphy uh, personally. I don't know if you understand that name. Uh, but he's doesn't uh, ring about uh, that. he's an austrian e- economist i will actually put you in touch with him Beautiful. he teaches at the mises institute he's he's um, been in front of congress before uh talking about the austrian way of of thinking so i think you'll really enjoy him and then i'm going to send you his and carlos Solara's book on how privatized banking really works and okay. i think you'll you'll really enjoy that uh, but here's my one question to kind of finish up the show because I I do think people are going to do this like two weeks Airbnb or maybe a month Airbnb somewhere. And then some people are going to be inspired. Well, maybe I want to do it for like six months, but if I do it for six months, I haven't really set up my um, income. And I don't, I don't know if I want to tap into other, my investments, but maybe I would like to work somewhere. You know, maybe I go to Rome and I want to experience the culture in Italy. Uh, Is it possible in these different places? Tell us how you would get like a part-time job. Are there some places you can't get a part-time job and what you would have to do
2: to do that? All right, well, how much time do we still have left in the interview, which will <laughs> judge my You can my take as much time as you
1: need, but if you need five minutes or so, you can go ahead and expound on anything you want.
2: Well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to discuss this. All right, I, I will start off by explaining a couple of things that I did, and hopefully that will answer your question. Okay. Um, When I was in Guatemala and I lived in Guatemala, I was on a tourist visa. I was in the country for 90 days. At 90 days, I left. I went to El Salvador for one week. I re entered the country. I reset my visa, which allowed me to spend five months in Guatemala. Okay. So there I was going and I was just living. I wasn't working. Okay. Um, I lived at a meditation center and studied esoterics. That's a different story, though. Oh, wow. Next, I was in. New Zealand. New Zealand, I got a working holiday visa, I got it in advance before I arrived into the country and I showed up with a permit to work. Working holiday visas are usually a scheme that are open to certain countries with other certain countries. So for example, Canada to New Zealand and maybe France to Canada and they, they have inter- uh, I was about to say intercambio. We have uh, interchanging relationships.
0: Is it due to the treaty that they sign between the two countries?
2: Yes. Yeah. Okay. So these are usually good until you're 30 years old. So if your listeners are out there you're kinda, that are less than 30 years old, you probably have some opportunities that you can go and do right now. And these are amazing programs. The idea is to go and see a new country and learn about the country and culture and history by funding your travels with working part-time. So you either work for six months of the year or work half days, it's not there to go and make a million dollars. What it's there for is to fund your travels so you can experience the country. So that was way number two. New Zealand, I spent one year there. Um, then I moved to Australia. I did a second working holiday visa. And I loved Australia. It, is, it was, is, Such an incredible country with amazing people and such a high standard of living for, at the time, not a lot of money. This was back in 2006. And um, at the end of my 12 months, when I was supposed to leave, I didn't want to leave. So I started traveling every three months outside of the country to reset the visa. But this time, I continued to work. I continued to keep my job and just got paid cash in hand. Now, technically, this is illegal, but I mean, Fifteen years on, I don't think I'm going to get any trouble for it now. Saying coming out and saying this, but I worked illegally for a year. I would go to Fiji every three months, or Vanuatu, or Tonga, or Philippines, or I can't remember where I went. Lots of different places. Then my company, they really liked the work that I was doing, so I got what was called a four-five-seven skilled migrant workers visa, which basically was a sponsorship, meaning that I could live in the country, work legally. But I had to work for that specific company so this is a new way of doing it so it's one company one job the ability to work when i left uh when i left australia after three years i moved to singapore and i showed up in singapore with no no visa to work a visa to be the tourist but no visa to work and no job prospects and they had a 30-day exit the country and re-enter so i would go to Johavaro. JB, which is, you just take a little bus across the bridge, go over to Malaysia, and then come back. It took me 10 months to find a job. So I burned through my savings in 10 months and finally found a company who would sponsor me. So this is different. The other countries I entered into with a visa, this one I got someone to sponsor me. I do not recommend this way of doing it. This was very difficult. It was the only time in my life I actually felt quite sad um, not being able to work and produce for myself. Um, I think that that's why we have a lot of problems in the world is because people are not able to work or or not allowed to work, I could say. Um, so I don't recommend this. After that, um, where did I live? Other places like the Arctic and everything was Canada. So I just, I went back to Canada, although a different part where I grew up. When I moved to the UAE, it was a different story. I had... A company who recruited me, flew me out to the UAE for an interview. Um, I spent a week there. They put me up for, for interviews and, uh, and I took a look around and decided that I wanted to be in the country. And then they sponsored me. This is a good way of doing it. I spent eight years there. Now, the last way that I've done it is I moved to Panama. Panama, I have a visa to work, a visa to live, and I am not tied to a company. I actually have an economic visa. So I have a visa for my own business. Although I've been an entrepreneur and I've been doing businesses for years and years and years, even when I was on other visas, um, this one here, I can do basically whatever I want. And there's massive tax advantages to being in Panama, which I know we definitely don't have time to get into today, but maybe another time. Um, So that is a really roundabout you know, journey around the world <laughs> of different ways to get visas, um, applying before you arrive, applying when you arrive, being a tourist, being sponsored, um, that kind of outlines it. Uh, I like places like Panama where I have full control over what I do. If I wanted to, I could go get a job at, I don't know, the hairdresser or something tomorrow, and I'd be legal to do that, and if I wanted to change two days later and I wanted to go work in an office, I could or i or i don't have to work at all.
1: So you again brought up another very interesting idea and it was the idea of working for someone else's company while you're abroad versus owning your own company. And so at this time do you own your company in Panama or have you is it owned somewhere else?
2: Well that's private information. Oh, I do yes, own yes. a company. I do own a company in Panama, but I own several. So I wouldn't probably get into too much of like the structures of where my assets are held. Um the but, reason I yeah. ask
1: and I not not for that information but does it allow you to then to be able to travel to multiple countries and still operate your own business in those other countries yeah, because I
2: have an online business so very briefly with Panama they have a teritor- territorial tax system so as long as my money is generated outside of the country um and I'm not selling to Panamanians I basically live tax-free here. And this is for oh. anybody. So so say that, for example, um, you guys decided that you wanted to move to Panama tomorrow, but the majority of your clients are US-based. You have an internet business, the podcast, and all the amazing things that you guys do. This would essentially be a tax-free country in Panama. Now, your US tax situation is a different beast. And there's a number of ways that you can um, legally reduce your taxes. Um, you know, I definitely suggest talking to a professional someone who 's licensed to either a tax attorney or a CPA, but you know ask about expats taxes, ask about the foreign earned income exclusion um, and how that works, but it'll basically shelter one hundred and eight thousand one hundred dollars this year. It goes up every year because of inflation, so most people, especially in a developing country like Panama, and I just keep using Panama as an example, but we could use any country uh, one hundred and eight thousand u s dollars you can have a very good life here. You know, the standard of living, you you don't need everything that you did in the States. You don't need two vehicles. You don't need to keep up with the Joneses. Um, Oh, right. We get a giant bag of organic vegetables delivered to our house every two weeks for like peanuts, like for nothing, Mm. you know? Um, That's so,
1: so interesting. I guess the whole reason I asked is that I think a lot of people are moving into the, online business space. And my first thought with that is, well, you need Wi-Fi, right? I mean, you need to have internet to be able to operate your business successfully.
2: (laughs) Everywhere in the world, you are going to find amazing internet like this. You won't have any problem there. I I promise. I've been in backwater Africa and had high-speed internet. So that's
1: fabulous.
2: There's a huge group of people who do digital nomad, which I think is interesting. For me, it's, it's not what I do. I do what I would call expat living. So I move to a country. I incorporate myself into the culture and the society. I try to learn the language. Um, I have local friends. I try to be, as much as I can, one of the people there. You know, I, I don't try to be an outsider. Yes, I have lots of expat friends, which I love dearly. I, I think it's really cool that my daughter gets to play with kids from russia and ukraine and australia and new zealand and france and you know i, I think that's really neat um i think it's really great for her but um yeah if you want to travel and work at the same time look up anything about digital nomad lifestyle um it's it's super interesting as well
1: This is so fascinating. And again, I think we could have a conversation that would span a much longer time frame than the one hour that we had today. So I'm sorry. That's why I say
2: I'm an autodidact (laughs) polymath is because I'm an expert on many different things and I'm truly self-taught. I
1: love that. And I think we can all be inspired by that exact idea. I had to look up both of those words and I'm actually a very, I love vocabulary. So I'm surprised I had not come across either of those (laughs) terms before, but I love the idea that you are self-taught and you're curious. And that's what has opened this world to you in such a a beautiful and profound way. So um, as we close today, I want to just remind our listeners that as we're talking about money and finances usually we don't usually span into this i this space of living abroad but the reason we had this conversation today is that everything that mikhail thorup is talking about is this idea of living a life that you love and if we really truly want to live a life in business that we love there's so much more opportunity and expanded thinking beyond what we normally would conceptualize as the way to do that. And so we wanted to not only expand our mindset and our thinking and the possibility and opportunity, we wanted to think of possibly a different way of going about achieving that dream of living a life and business you love. And so what we're usually talking about is just your money. And we're talking about how to make sure you keep as much of your cash as possible, protect that, and then be able to make more. And this still fits in the same concept because we're talking about how to have more freedom and more control. So, If you are a regular listener on the Money Advantage podcast, you know we talk about privatized banking on a regular basis. If you are interested in financial strategies to be able to have more of your money in your control, please come talk to us at themoneyadvantage.com. You can go to our calendar page directly and the link is also in the live notes as well. So you'll be able to grab that there. And we just want to thank you, Mikkel, for coming on today, for exposing us to just something very, I would say a breath of fresh air that we have not heard on from really any of our guests. Michael Cobb was pretty close though. I do have to say, just because he has a lot of that same um, (laughs) background and experience, but I love having you on the show and just letting you share your vast knowledge with us. Thank you so much.
2: Well, thank you, because I think that the work that you both do is super, super important. And I feel very blessed to be on your show. So thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time.
1: Thank you, Mikkel. So in closing, if you would like to find out more about Mikkel and the work that he does, go to escapeartist.com. Is that the best way to find you?
2: Yeah, escapeartist.com or check out my book on Amazon, uh, Expat Secrets, How to Pay Zero Taxes, Live Overseas and Make Giant Piles of Money.
1: Love it. And then there's also the Expat Money Show that you can find directly online or you can get to that through escapeartist.com as well. So thank you so much, Mikkel, for being with us on the show today. In closing, please remember success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside.
0: Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com.